What's up out there, football friends? Happy Monday to you. Episode three of the Helipod, our first post-draft episode of the Helipod. And I don't know about you, but uh, this was the best weekend I've had in, I don't know, six, seven weekends. And as we told you last week when we had NFL Network draft analyst Daniel Jeremiah on, this would be the most watched draft in NFL history, and it just smashed records up by 35% over last year. Uh, over 15 million viewers watched round one of the draft on Thursday, and it was pure entertainment. I, I, I enjoyed getting to pull back the curtain a little bit and see the NFL general managers and head coaches at their houses and their kids running around and dressing up in costumes or if, uh, in the case of, of Mike Vrabel and his kid and his son in the background and Cliff Kingsbury just hanging out in his loafers and his uh, pimped out pad there in Arizona. Something that we're going to be talking about with uh, NFL Network analyst uh, Brian Baldinger. He is going to be on the back half of the, uh, the helipod. Uh, I'm going to throw some draft numbers out at you before we get going here. Eight wide receivers drafted in the first 35 picks. 36 overall, that ties a record. LSU, that was ridiculous. He had 14 players picked. That's a record. Michigan and Ohio State had 10. How about the Panthers? They've become the first team to ever draft all defensive players. Hmm. And the Raiders, the first team in 38 years to draft three wide receivers in the first three rounds. And the greatest conference in college football, the SEC, had 63 of 255 players drafted. 63 of them were from the SEC. That's one out of every four players came from the Southeastern Conference. Uh, ridiculous. Um, 13 quarterbacks drafted. None by New England. Patriots don't draft a QB. They did sign a couple of uh, rookie free agent quarterbacks in Jamar Smith from Louisiana Tech and Brian Lewerke from Michigan State, but they don't draft one. They were connected to Jordan Love. Some people thought they might uh, make a move for him or perhaps if Tua or Herbert slid, which of course did not happen. So Jarrett Stidham, Brian Hoyer, and two undrafted free agent rookie quarterbacks are what is on the New England Patriots roster right now. Uh, the Dolphins get their guy in Tua. They sit tight at five. They don't have to make a trade or move up. And uh, that's where we get things started, kind of how things went down for the Dolphins with our good buddy Jeff Darlington from ESPN. He kicks off episode three of the Helipod, gives us uh, his take on uh, what we saw with the Dolphins and uh, Jeff, of course, broke the story of Tom Brady leaving the Patriots and going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's going to walk us through that process, maybe share some things with us that we didn't uh, know before. And uh, followed by Jeff will be Brian Baldinger. This is episode three of the Helipod. Pumped up to be with you on Monday. We are presented by Viore, as always. Let's roll. And so we begin episode three with my good buddy, Jeff Darlington from ESPN. Jeffrey, obviously you are uh, very tied in with the Dolphins and um, you were almost exasperated because of all the smoke screens prior. Yeah. To you honestly had no idea what they were going to do. 
So I thought I did actually. That's the the annoying, funny part is that uh, it was a situation where I thought they were taking Tua, right? And I actually thought they were taking him fifth. I didn't think they were going to trade into the three spot. And then someone decided to. I was almost like I was getting too close to the sun, and they decided they wanted to uh, throw me off the scent a little bit. And it they did. They succeeded. And it's like one of those things where journalism just sucks during the draft. <laughs> Because these people that you generally trust on other stories are suddenly like, I'll do whatever it takes to make sure we get this guy and don't let someone screw it up for us, even if it's somebody that we know and trust. So when that happened, it was like, in any other circumstance, I know I was right about the two thing at five, but this person threw me off the scent and I was like, they wouldn't do that if it was, unless it was real. And honestly, the crazy thing is what it was is they told me they were trading, that, that they expected the Dolphins to trade into three and then take Jordan Love later in the first round. Right. And they were going to basically end up with an offensive lineman and Jordan Love. And it just, it just didn't make sense. It wasn't calculating with you, was it? It wasn't. So I didn't report the exact facts of it. I didn't say that this is because it, it didn't make sense. But I was also like all of a sudden starting to kind of say, I'm going to back off the Tua thing for a little bit. And I probably shouldn't have. Right. Well, I, I, don't, I don't think you were alone. I think there were a lot of people that were not only wondering, you know, if they would take Tua, but if they would take a quarterback at all. Daniel Jeremiah, who was our guest on the podcast last week, and just crushed it on his draft coverage, thought he was excellent. He yeah, made a awesome. great point. He, he said – you don't trade away left tackles and safeties to go draft left tackles and safeties with, you know, a top five pick. That's just, that doesn't make any sense. No doubt. You trade those guys away to go get your franchise quarterback. And in my mind, Jordan Love was, was so far from a franchise quarterback in terms of, you know, right now that the, to me, the risk of not drafting Tua was much greater than the risk. To That's draft a good point. So, it, you're right. People kept trying to say, like, you know, Chris Greer is putting his job in jeopardy by taking Tua. But I would argue that he's putting his job far more in jeopardy by not taking it. Uh, if Tua goes and succeeds somewhere else, I would say that that would be far more of a black mark than if he were to take him and all of a sudden Tua breaks his ankle in the first week and you're like, man, I told you so. But at least right. it's like Dolphins fans can say, yeah, but he took the chance. Like, I feel like in this circumstance with this player – Given the upside, you kind of have to just take the chance. Well, and I'm, I'm glad for them that they, they decided he was the guy and not Herbert. And, and what, what do we know? I'm obviously not an Italian evaluator. I just – Right, no doubt. You know, Tua is a transcendent talent. The guy has, you know, the ability to be really, really special. And Herbert could turn out to be a pretty good quarterback as well. But to me, to me, he's almost like Blaine Gabbert coming out. I just never, you know, I just never really fell in love well, with him. He kind of feels like um, boring, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I, I don't want to, that's not a bad thing to be as a franchise quarterback. I think that sometimes we knock guys for not having enough personality. And sometimes the quarterback position, you sort of want it to be an extension of the coaching staff and maybe not as polarizing and not as uh, right. controversial. So it doesn't feel like a bad thing, but I know for the Dolphins, like talking to guys there, and this was sort of why I was also like, man, I just, think they're going to take Tua here is because they covet leadership right now. And I knew that they weren't that high on Herbert because he wasn't the alpha male. 
they right. believed he had the prototypical strength and size and all those things. They just didn't feel like he was the guy who's going to come in the locker room and win everybody over. And uh, that's why I, I never really thought they were taking Herbert. It, it, it was so fascinating. I, I, they end up keeping all three of those first round picks and they get Austin Jackson, the offensive tackle and uh, Igbenogany, yeah. the, uh, the corner from, from Auburn as well. I mean, this is a team that if, if stays healthy, could get better very quickly. Um, so, it, go ahead. You're, no, you're right. So they get 10 free agents this year, 11 draft picks. I mean, 21 new players that many of which are expected to come into starting roles. The only interesting thing is like last year they sucked because they just sucked, right? <laughs> like the talent wasn't there. Right. Uh, you know, Flores kind of maybe stepped it up to a degree that people didn't expect. Fitzpatrick did his thing. But generally the roster wasn't that great. This year, my wonder is, with all the restrictions on this virtual offseason, how does a team that is so new come together fast enough to make them a competitor? And does that really matter? Is this year not the second step? Like, a lot, I think a lot of times when people think of tanking, they think the next year is going to be great. Right. And with the Dolphins, I don't think they ever intended to tank per se, with the expectation that it would be a quick turnaround. They're trying to build the right way, right. and that doesn't mean the next year being good. So while this was a sexy offseason for them, I don't necessarily think it's going to be an overly sexy season for them. Well, and that's a great point, too, about bringing all these new parts together. And uh, certainly it's going to be hard to operate like a fine-tuned machine when these guys – I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen with the right. schedule. But I, I think if they play the full 16 games, they might They might have one preseason game before the regular season, right? Which, like, by the way, sounds awesome to me. <laughs> Can we do that every year? <laughs> probably sounds awesome for a lot of guys. If I wasn't – the preseason broadcaster for the Tennessee Titans, I'd be all about that. But I love right. the full, you know, full four preseason. <laughs> yeah. uh, knock it down to three. Corner. That might be okay. But that's going to be uh, coming sooner rather than later. Let me ask you about another big surprise. I, I, I was shocked. You brought Jordan Love up earlier to see him go to Green Bay, and they traded yeah. up to get him. Right. Was that the, the most surprising thing to you in the, the first round or yeah, two? I mean, it was definitely the biggest storyline, right? Um, for sure, the idea of the Packers not only taking him, you could justify taking him. You can say all the time there's great value in this quarterback, whether we develop him or trade him, but to move up to get him and to move like not just a little bit, like that was a pretty decent jump. Um, that's when you can't sit there and just say, Yeah, oh, well, we saw great value on the board when we were picking. It's like, no, nah, you moved up to get that dude. Right. Um, to that point, though. Part of me wonders in the back of my mind if what I was hearing about Jordan Love and the Dolphins, if there was some truth to it somewhere deep within it to where he was sort of the Daniel Thomas of this year, where teams coveted him maybe more than the rest of us realized. Um, we hear Daniel him, Jones. Yeah, uh, uh, Jordan Love. Joy, right, got you, got you. It's sort of that, that Dan, Daniel Jones sort of figure where we didn't really right. see it coming, but teams really like him. And maybe that's the case with the Packers. Maybe there were teams that were like, man, this dude's got it. We can get him at this point in the first round. He's our replacement for Aaron Rodgers. We don't have to worry about that down the road. The problem with that is like, okay, let's, let's, let's dig into this one. Because first of all, 
I do believe you should put weapons around one of the great quarterbacks that we've seen in our Absolutely. time. Absolutely. But at the same time, you pay that guy an exorbitant amount of your salary cap to to make people better. Sure. The shortcomings of the rest of the team, right? Sure. Absolutely. That being said, I, it's hard to make that argument when you take a quarterback. If you take a defensive end, you can make that argument. Sure. Well, because it makes the team better as a whole. I just think that the championship windows for organizations other than the New England Patriots are right. so minute that when you get to the NFC championship game in the rookie year of your head coach, you need to add pieces around. He's 36 years old. You That's right. Him some pieces. This window might only be open for another two years. Who knows? I just, it's, it's bananas to me. And I know a lot of talent evaluators say the best time to draft a quarterback is when you don't need a quarterback. And, and the Packers, sure. obviously it worked out well when they drafted Aaron Rodgers when Brett Favre was still playing well. I just, if I'm the head coach and I'm the general manager in Green Bay, I'm trying to win a Super Bowl while Aaron Rodgers is still there. And I don't think drafting Jordan Love helps you do that. Let me ask you a question, though. Why are we not talking about Bill Belichick in the same vein? Not drafting a quarterback? No, about the fact that he had Tom Brady. And he decided to essentially let Tom Brady walk because he wasn't willing to build a roster around him to go win another Super Bowl. It's a great question. It's a great question. And and, and Jeff, we – we will know the answer to that by the end of this season, whether that was yeah. right or wrong, right? No, you're right. We, we, I just think we let people off the hook sometimes um, in that regard. But at the same time, we get on a team. And I'm not going to defend what the Rams did entirely because they, they put themselves in a tough situation for years to come. But I sure. also will defend the sense that they saw a Super Bowl window and they said, we're going to load up and we're going to go for this. They didn't win it. Had they won it, I think we would be talking about them a little bit differently today uh, and, and maybe the position they put themselves in. But I respect the team that sees that window and says, we're going to load up. We're going to pay the guys we need to pay. They probably didn't need to pay Todd Gurley. But my point being that, right. like, in defense of what you're saying about the Packers, when you have that window, you gotta, you got to push for it. you got to really you gotta fight for that Super Bowl. Yeah, no, I, I, and you know, the Rams are in a precarious position right now, but they, they didn't know that Gurley's knee was going to react the way that it did. And if he were healthy, they would be in an entirely different situation. That's you, brought, you brought up Jeff uh, Belichick and the Tom Brady situation. You were the one that broke the story, Brady to Tampa. I know you're yeah. close to him and, and his camp. Tell me something about how that went down that we don't know. Um. Huh. <laughs> I mean, there's a, I could write a book. I'm, I'm sure you point. could. I'm sure. And some of that you're probably not able to share, but is there, is there something you can share with us that wasn't out there in the mainstream reporting about um, maybe another team or, or just kind of how that came together? I won't get into the other teams. I would, I would say that I think one of the funny elements, like kind of looking back on it at, and uh, I hope I'm not, hope not getting myself in trouble at this point. I'm not, no, this is not. You're um, fine. No, I'm yeah, spoken <laughs> like the guy interviewing me. Uh, no, but but it's, it really won't be. You'll you'll be annoyed how innocent and innocuous this. But but like the funny thing to me is that like a lot of people for throughout the story kind of were like targeting me as being like almost Brady's mouthpiece. Um, that I was putting out there that he wasn't going back to the Patriots, 
um, to, to help benefit him, to create right. leverage, to go back to the Patriots. When what people don't realize is that I was taking shit from every side on that of one. Of course <laughs> like, you were. Nobody was really thrilled with me through that, uh, that period well, of time. And, and, and to be honest, there were, you know, I, I saw that and I knew how close you were to the situation. So it told me, I said, wow, this is real. Because I just had never really been able to picture yeah. Tom Brady doing what Montana did and Joe Namath did. And, and it worked out great for Montana, but not so well for Namath, right? And not, not no. so well for, for a lot of guys. And um, we, we don't know how it's going to work out for Brady. I just couldn't, I just couldn't picture it. And then when, when it's the box, when it's a team that's yeah. been so bad for so long – I just, it just took me a while to really wrap my head around it. But then I just started thinking about all the keys and clues and how yeah. I think it just in terms of quality of life now, how much better Tom Brady's life. And is. that, that was, so there was a lot of things, a lot of narratives throughout the story that um, I, I felt like I couldn't really even be as honest as I wanted to be about the situation because literally nobody even wanted to believe what I was trying to say. Like people, um, and you have to have conviction in your reporting. And I did. I mean, I knew more truths than I was willing to say because quite honestly, I just didn't think people were even going to digest it and believe it. Like the idea that he wasn't necessarily just going to go to the team that gave him the best shot at the Super Bowl. He was going to go to the team. I kept saying like, there's four things that Tom Brady covets. He covets um, a coach who he could be collaborative with. He covets a roster that is not necessarily Super Bowl bound by our current expectations, but that has some, some shit to it. Right. Uh, he covets a warm weather city, which sounded ridiculous to people. And he covets being closer to New York, which people couldn't conceptualize that Tampa was closer to New York than Los Angeles, for right. instance. Right. But like... I kept saying those things and people didn't want to digest the reality of that because when they think of Tom Brady, they think of a guy who just is so competitive and just wants Super Bowls to the point where they literally were like, you're full of it. Like, that's not true. That's not real. And I'm like, well, no, it is. Like, it is real. <laughs> and um, the, other, the other dynamic in play there was when I said – that I would be shocked that Tom Brady, um, I'd be shocked if Tom Brady goes back to the Patriots. This is naivety, but I did not expect people to be as shocked by my statement. I didn't realize that that was something that people really had yet to digest because within Tom Brady's world, that was something that everybody had pretty much accepted at that point. Right. But because Tom Brady is so private and has been for so long, um, it was something that I guess I just didn't realize that people were not willing to accept yet. And uh, it, was a, it was crazy, man. It was, fucking, it was wild. <laughs> I, I, dude, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it from afar. And um, when, you, when you got that scoop, man, that was, that was really – that was awesome. I mean, that's one you're going to remember, right? That's, that's yeah. one of those, those stories that when they're writing the Jeff Darlington uh, biopic, um, <laughs> that, that's, that's going to be one of the chapters. It was, um, it was, it was crazy too. Just, um, just the circumstances at that point, like I was home, I was in this exact seat, you know, dealing with, um, we weren't quite in the, the pandemic mode yet when it broke that he was, I don't think so. Right. No, no, he was, no. it was right. 
it, it was, was just starting. Right before. It was just starting, right. So I kind of knew that he was going to Tampa. And I wanted to go to Tampa, even though Tom wasn't going to be able to, to travel there. I, and the building was shut down, so it definitely was. But I wanted to be there. Like, as a field reporter, I wanted to stand outside that building and right. report from Tampa. And my boss was like, you can't go. So it was during that time. And it was, I had to do it from my garage and, you know, have your kids. I will never forget, to your point, that month of my life. What, what did you enjoy the most about watching the draft? Because it was, it was so different. Yeah. Um, what, what stood out the most I liked the families, man. Like, I know it's cool, funny, right? But the houses, I, I was – my wife, who couldn't give a shit about the NFL or the draft, doesn't know anybody there and, you know, thinks I'm name dropping when I'm like, oh, there's Kyle Shanahan. Look at his kids. I've known him for 15 years. And she's right. like, doesn't, she thinks I'm, okay. I'm like, right. but, but she's sitting on the couch completely engaged with the NFL draft, which she never would be because she loved the voyeurism of it. She loved like looking in people's houses. And she's like, wow, I, I, I thought these, these coaches made a lot more money. They could afford better furniture. I'm like, they can. They just don't, they don't have any, you know, like, well, I don't know what's going on there. Well, it, it, was, it was funny. I mean, knowing Vrabel and seeing his son yeah. and his son's friend dressed up. And then, you know, there was some, some magnum PI work that had to be done to figure out what there's some kids on a shitter in the background, yeah. which apparently he wasn't. Yeah. Uh, that was tremendous. Then Braves is spitting out his big chaw and he was cup as the camera's on. Um, it was also on brand. Yeah. You know? Totally. King Kingsbury. Like, and I think <laughs> that, that was great. But that was the funny part to me. Like, I, and I, it almost makes you wish and wonder why these guys are so guarded when the people reacted the exact way that they should have reacted. When right. they, Cliff Kingsbury is a player, dude. That guy is like, that's him. That's Cliff. Uh, and then the next day, seeing Sean McVay trying Go to have his background close like his, <laughs> that's Sean. And, and, uh, and Vrabel, that's Vrabel, you know? That's yeah. in Flores with his kids there, and his phone to Tua. That's, that's Flores. Like, these guys were showing who they are. Adam Gase with his three kids. I think people were like surprised to see his kids around. Of course, Adam wasn't giving him any attention, but that's, <laughs> that's that. Like it, it, I think it just opened a window that we both know and understand and see right. a lot, but that, uh, that it was nice to kind of for fans to see that as well. I thought that was a nice touch for the guys to have the kids in the background. And, and I've known yeah. Kyle probably about as long as you have, yeah. and, um, you know, the, the, to see those kids and his daughter trying to figure out the printer and, and I was like, I couldn't, I, I texted Kyle, like, I cannot believe how old your kids have gotten. I know, like, it's, it's that too. Because in our world, uh, to a degree that's not healthy, we're not like, all except the owners meetings, we're not really around each other's families and stuff. It's like two different lives. So, right. you know, for us, it was fun. For fans, I'm sure it was fun. But, uh, you know, the really funny part was like, you saw like the early draft picks, like Zach Taylor, for instance, who's a total family guy, the Bengals head coach doesn't have his kids around on the first day and then right. the next day his kids are there i'm sure he's taking shit like how come oh, of other course where are your kids, kids man there? he's like well i didn't know that was a thing you know well you know i'm sure it's like if 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 i'm doing something for my office like right now i'm taping this this podcast and the you know the doorbell rings like damn it what's going yeah. on right now you know and then 
is you know, after a while you just kind of get used to it and it's just a huge big family affair and it, it was it was different and we probably will never have another draft like this again no but, and that's uh, a bummer you know I, I was i was really impressed with you know espn and nfl network one joint broadcast they put together there were 600 different feeds you know in. what was amazing too is that um that they were all pretty good like the feeds were not that bad they were solid yeah and, and it's funny about. yeah you think about all the things that will change as a result of like what was it charles schwab no uh, not schwab morgan stanley i think was like we're not going to have as much real estate now for our company we're going right. to more people are going to work. It's like people are realizing the things that we can do when we're like put in this situation. And it actually makes you like, imagine all the coaches next year when they go back to the facilities to do the draft and their kids are like, wait, you were happy with your draft class. Why can't you do it more with them? What happened What's to the dad? Big deal? He's been around so much. I'll tell you who would love this again are the players who have their virtual off season program. None of them have to show up at the facility. Totally. And it's true. Like, and that's the thing. If you see, the same results and, and to that point about the feeds being pretty good like next year i'm sure espn's like well shit why we need to hire all these camera crews to go and the poor camera crews are going to get totally cut out it's, when we yeah. had a perfectly reasonable setup here like so i think that you know I, I think there will be some changes to be honest as a result of all this no i think i think everybody's learned a little something um but it was uh, it was fun to watch it was fun to see you on uh, on svp my friend um, yeah man i love that guy He's, he's the, and he was a Maryland guy. So he went to a rival high school, a couple years older than me, but uh, we have a lot of mutual At, friends in common. So it's been fun SVP, to watch him. No matter what, you always like turn it up a little bit, you know, he's, like you just like, it's like one of those moments when you're on with him or like Kenny Maine. Yeah, oh Anderson. yeah. When you're, when you hear them in, in your earpiece and they're like, they say your name, it's like this surreal, like dreamy moment where you're like, you, it's suspended reality. Like, wait, totally he's talking get it. to me and I'm supposed to respond to him. Had, but, I had, uh, one, had one of those moments uh, uh, when CBS was a partner with NFL Network, the Thursday Night Football, and James Brown tossed to me. Yeah. And as a kid growing up watching James Brown, I'm like, wow, that's, it, it, you, just, you just take a beat kind of, right? Yeah. Before you start <laughs> soaking in, but you can't soak it in for too long because you got to freaking no, talk. No, but, but the other beautiful th- part about SVP, for instance, is that he's the guy that you're intimidated when you hear him throw to you but a second later you're in this great conversation with a guy and you forget you're on live television so he's yeah. he's the total guy who has an intimidation factor but also this friendly conversational presence about him but yeah he's the man no that's awesome dude well continued uh success my friend uh, at some well. point i will uh i will see you in the near future i probably won't be making it to florida anytime soon but uh, uh Dude, this thing sucks, huh? I know, man. Ho- hopefully things get back. To- I mean, I, I love my family, but sometimes <laughs> I just want to spread the wings a little bit, you know, be it's able to fun. go to a nice like restaurant again. It was bad. My neighbors were joking with us at the beginning. They're like, man, we heard some shit from you guys because we were just fighting, you know. I'm yelling at my wife, Tom Brady is going to the box. Get the hell out of Get the kids, you know. And then, like, by this point, I'm kind of like, you know, whatever. Like, kid, get right. in here. I think Xanax, we're good. But like, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's uh, childcare would be awesome. That'd be sweet. Uh, yeah, that I, I I can't wait for that. Uh, all right, buddy, I'll see you around soon, man. Thanks, Ali. Appreciate you, man. If you've never heard of Viore, you should have because these, uh, simply stated, are the most comfortable clothes on the planet. And by the way. 
They look awesome too. I have been wearing Viore for about two and a half years now. Tremendous workout gear. You can wear it to the beach. You can sleep in it. They have great joggers. They have unbelievable shorts. My favorite are the core shorts. They also have a couple of banked shorts and they make this new pant called the Ponto Pant which is so incredibly comfy. Perfect for all the quarantine time we have to lounge around the house these days. It's vioriclothing.com slash helipod. We have created that URL just for you so you can save 20% off your first order. vioriclothing.com slash helipod. That's V-U-O-R-I clothing.com slash helipod. Great shirts, unbelievable shorts, jogger stuff for the ladies as well. Check out VioriClothing.com. I promise you, you will not be sorry. Back with my buddy, Brian Baldinger from uh, really from everywhere. I mean, he's doing radio. It has NFL network, Baldy's breakdowns on Twitter, just a tremendous follow if you don't follow him already. But if you are a fan of the national football league, you absolutely know who Brian Baldinger is. Not only did he play, but he has been a uh, fine game analyst and uh, show analyst for quite some time. Now, Baldy, thanks for joining us, buddy. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Danny. I mean, you know, this is, uh, this is what we always do, right? We, we build up to the draft, we have the draft, and then we analyze the draft. And in the world that we're in right now, I mean, it never felt better, I'll be honest with you, to sit and watch it, be a part of it in some ways, and now to join you and some other outlets right now just to talk about it because – you know, if I thought I thought things went really well this weekend, and under the circumstances, and uh, and I think all these teams, you know, they all want to kind of know, and the fans of these teams, they want to know like just what happened, how they did. Yeah, I I tweeted this out after the draft. Thank you for having the draft. It was the happiest I had been in uh, you know six seven yeah. weeks or so, having something to really follow and to watch. And obviously, it was uh, unique because. It was the first ever fully virtual draft, and the commissioner is in his, you know, lazy boy kicking back, yeah. eating M&Ms, uh, you know, introducing the picks. It was, uh, it, it was fun to watch. It was fun. Darlington brought this up to, earlier to get a peek into the lives of some of the coaches and see their kids. And it's it, Mike Vrabel's son and his buddy standing in the background. Yeah. What was your hey, favorite part? I tweeted out, I, I tweeted out probably um, Friday night, probably Friday night, Danny, after we'd seen, you know, enough – of what the war rooms, you know, modern day uh, virtual room uh, rooms are. And I, I thought the addition of the kids, you see these guys as real people, coaches and general managers. I'm a good friends with Joe Douglas, just to see his three kids there with them. I, I thought it was awesome. I, I loved it. I mean, who doesn't like, you know, Matt Rule's got his three kids right there. They're all over them. I, I, I really like that aspect of it because it humanized these guys. And I thought, they, I thought they enjoyed it. You know, I thought they thought this is, you know, first of all, they never get a chance to do that this time of the year. Right. In fact, they don't, they don't see their families or kids. So I, I, I love that aspect of it. And I know the commissioner at the end, Dan, yesterday said, you know, there's some things that they will incorporate going forward. But if they have a way that their kids can be a part of this, I, I, thought, it was a great, I thought it was a great little aspect to it. How on brand? As, uh, as Darlington said earlier, was the shot of Cliff Kingsbury in his house in front of his pool with it's, his loafers up on the coffee on. table. It, it's, so <laughs> it's, it's so Cliff. It really is. Like, you know, he's, 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 on his, he's in his own bubble. Yeah. It's a great bubble to be in. I mean, you're Cliff Kingsbury. 
And I think his team's getting a lot better too. So uh, that, that, that personified that coach more than any other setting, I thought, all weekend. Did you like that pick, that the, the Cardinals pick in the first round? I, I, think, that, I, I think he would be great anywhere. But I, the fact that Simmons was able to fall down to them, um, they got to be pleased with that. I think so. You know, I mean, Buda Baker was, uh, you know, Pro Bowl safety and Patrick Peterson and you had Lecky Fotu from Utah in there and, you know, with Chandler Jones. And you could just see the pieces coming together for a talented defense. And, you know, the, the thing is, if you're playing in that division, Dan, right? So you've got San Francisco twice a year and you've got George Kittle out there who seems to be a nightmare for everybody to cover when he's not putting somebody on their ass blocking. Um, can I say that on your – yeah, you can say whatever you want, Baldy. You can drop an <laughs> F-bomb if you want. No, but uh, uh, the, the um, you know, I, he, he has that ability. He has that ability to go cover tight ends, cover slot receivers, um, come off the edge. I mean, he's got great versatility. And so tight ends seem to be one of those, you know, one of those positions that's just tough to match up with. And he might be able to do that the way that he runs and the way that he has shown he can cover. Trent Williams, you know, I, I grew up in the D.C. area. I'm a I'm – a, skins fan and i just wanted them to get that whole saga over with and yeah. I, they didn't get a whole lot in return just a third in a, in a fifth round pick and that third round pick next year if san francisco is as good as they were this year is really going to be like a a fourth round pick he's 31 years old baldy you you played offensive line in, in the nfl for a decade he there's still some gas left in that tank after taking a year off right i mean he could play another three four five years i think so i think so you know that um, I went back and watched him in 2018. The last time he played, he was really good. Uh, he has had some injuries, though. He's had, you know, a bat. He played with a dislocated kneecap for the second half of the 2017 season. Crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. And so he, he did the sacrifices, and the Redskins did what they did. I mean, that, hopefully that chapter's all over. But uh, Trent Williams is better than any tackle in this draft if he's healthy. Now, he took a year off. I would imagine his body feels pretty good. Uh, didn't play last year. So they might get a real healthy version of Trent Williams. And if they do, this 49ers run game and their offense will be better than it was last year. And that's not a knock on Joe Staley. Joe Staley was injured last year. Um, he missed some time. They had a rookie come in from Vanderbilt that played really well. But Trent Williams is, when healthy, as good as any left tackle in, this, in, in the entire business. And so uh, I would think that, they, they could be more dynamic with Trent in there. I thought it was a great, a great trade. I was trying to see who was going to get him. Uh, I didn't know that Joe Staley was retiring when it was first went down. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, this is either insurance or I wasn't really sure what to make of it. But then when Staley announced his retirement, it all made a lot of sense for San Francisco. Yeah, I, I just said pencil him in the Super Bowl, man. That's, uh, I just think Trent is such a great football player, and I feel like there's a lot of gas left in that tank. When you look at the draft, obviously there were some surprises. The, the one everybody was talking about in the first round was, was the Packers trading up to draft uh, Aaron Rodgers' eventual successor in Jordan Love. Um, I was somewhat surprised that the Cowboys were able to nab, you know, C.D. Lamb. That was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, what stood out the most to you in the first couple of days of the draft, Baldy? Well, I think the Jordan Love move, I, you know, I, I, uh, I do Big 12 games. Um, I, I got to know Matt Wells this year at Texas Tech. He, he recruited and coached Jordan Love at Utah State. Um, know, knows him as well as anybody. So he gave me some insight to him. And then I went back and I watched him in 2018 and even some of this year. He has an electric arm. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he can really throw the ball. I mean, he has a real talented arm. 
And there are times, I, I will not make this comparison, but there are times you can't help but see Patrick Mahomes in him. Um, you know, just off balanced, uh, going to his left, mm-hmm. seeing somebody across the field in the end zone, and he can get it there the way we've seen Mahomes do it for two years in a row now. Matt Wells said the best situation that could happen for Jordan Love is if he could sit for a year behind a really good player and learn and be redshirted. Now, I think he's going to get at least that year. But, I mean, he may never see the field. I mean, that's, that's the gamble. I mean, if, if Aaron Rodgers um, it plays at anywhere near an elite level, he's, he's not going to see the field unless Green Bay it just wants to move on from Aaron Rodgers at some point, which, I, I, you know, I mean, this, Jordan Love is not Aaron Rodgers. Can he be that? You know, I guess, you know, there's, there's room that you can see that with the arm. But I don't know. It just seemed like they get to an NFC championship game. The only guy that he trusted in the passing game was Devontae Adams. He's really good. You're absolutely and right. Draft, I mean, just help the guy out. We always have said that they never give him enough help. It's always out there trying to figure it out after the ball snap where he's going to go with the ball. And uh, to me, Brian Gutekinds and what they're doing there, I got a question in that decision. Yeah, I was I was a little surprised too. Big fan of Matt Lafleur, known him for a long time since his days with the Redskins. Um, I just thought that I thought it was a mistake. I just think when you have a first round draft pick and you have the ability to bolster an offense with a guy like Aaron Rodgers, and you're that close to getting to the Super Bowl, like let's let's bring in some more chess pieces, here, man. Let's help the guy out a little bit. And obviously, they decided that that wasn't exactly what. Uh, what they wanted to do. I loved, uh, you, you, you brought up Texas Tech. One of my guys uh, going into the draft that I talked about a ton was, uh, was Jordan Brooks, the linebacker from Texas Tech. Man, how fast does that dude get to the ball? Uh, he, he's awesome, Dan. And, you know, when I watched him, and, of course, Matt Wells, you know, had him at Utah State. You know, when I was talking to him about uh, Jordan Brooks, even going back to the first game of the season or the second game of the season in Texas Tech, out there in Lubbock, he was saying, you know, my best – defensive player, plays right guard in the punt team for me. You go back and watch Bobby Wagner. He was my right guard in the punt team. And I'll, I'll say it. I said it then. I'll say it now. He's, he's Bobby Wagner. That's what he is. I mean, almost identical measurements, size, speed, almost identical. And then the way that he plays the game and he can find the football. I mean, I, I think they're getting Bobby Wagner. I think that's what they think in Seattle, and I think that's what they're going to get. They're going to get the clone of Bobby Wagner, and he has been as good as any inside linebacker over the last eight years. He's been rock solid. He's a quarterback. He's an awesome player. And I think the same thing about Jordan Brooks. I, you know, the, the, he played, you know, the last month of the season with the shoulder that was just dangling. He didn't play the final game of the season against TCU. He wanted to play. He sat, got the operation, and then came and tested at the combine, you know, after their shoulder surgery. I think he's going to be – I think he's going to be a rock solid player. And I wasn't surprised. I mean, no offense to Patrick Queen. Um, he did it for a year. Bobby Wagner did it for three years. There was just a ton of production. And I know a lot of teams that really liked him, that if he had fallen at the top of the second round, he wasn't getting out of the top of the second round. Yeah. Um, not at all. Well, I, I think he landed in a good spot. Certainly they're going to know, uh, they're going to know how to use him. Is there another team that, that you, when you look back at their draft and you just say they killed it. I mean, these, these guys absolutely dominated this draft. Well, I mean, look, the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah. Just, I mean, they, they were flawless, flawless in what they did. I mean, you just go through the whole thing, you know, whether it's, and you know, it, it, it's so classic Eric DaCosta who trained under Ozzie. 
um, you know, back in the D.C. area. You, you just know. They just let the draft come to them. Patrick Queen fell to them. Like, they don't screw up that position. Going back to Ray Lewis and C.J. Mosley, they just don't screw it up. I mean, he, he's a plug-and-play guy. You know, you just look at them and you go, okay, J.K. Dobbins, he was my number one run back. And what do they do? They run the football. They ran it for an NFL record yards this year. Dobbins just, you know, he, he's just going to be a perfect fit. You know, they get Duvernay from Texas, and they get James Prochet, who was one of my favorite players. They get two receivers um, with highly, highly productive players that run well, catch everything. I mean, depth on the defensive line, Justin Matabike, you know, was easily the third best defensive tackle or fourth best defensive tackle, him and Ross Blacklock. I mean, it was just – it was badful. The Minnesota Vikings, how many picks do they have? Did they have 15? I mean, when, when the Eagles passed on Justin Jefferson at 21 – their teeth fell out of their mouth. I, Baldy, I can't believe, I cannot believe the Eagles passed on Justin Jefferson. This is a guy that's going to play a decade in the league. He's going to catch 90 balls a year. He's exactly what they need there in Philadelphia. Again, as a Saints fan, I'm like, oh, thank God. Listen, Danny, he had 111 catches, 18 touchdowns at LSU. Um, they said he was a slot receiver in Philly. They didn't want a slot receiver. The guy ran a 4-4 three, Dan. I mean, he could play outside, inside. He played outside because Jamar Chase was just that good. And Joe Brady wanted a guy that could dominate in the middle like he did. He's an elite route runner. And when Philadelphia passed on him, I mean, Spielman, Rick Spielman couldn't wait to run that. He, he ran all the way to wherever a commissioner's house is, the basement himself. I mean, he got on his high horse and ran that, that pick, Justin Jefferson. And they'll play him. You watch. Adam Thielen will be the move guy, and Justin Jefferson will be on the outside taking Stephon Diggs' place. Uh, I thought Minnesota was, was awesome with what they did uh, up and down the board. They got all kinds. I mean, whether it's Gladney, who was a top, top corner in this draft at a TCU, mm -hmm. you know, whether it was uh, Ezra Cleveland that could, you know, easily take over one of the tackle positions. He played every game at Boise. I, I thought Minnesota was awesome in this draft. Let me ask you about one more guy. I, one of my favorite picks was, was Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Um, to Kansas City. I mean, the rich get richer there. I think he's a perfect fit in that Andy Reid offense. What do you think? I agree. I agree. And, uh, you know, look, Damian Williams was really good for him, uh, especially in the postseason. But this, this Clyde Edward uh, Hilaire is – he's a great receiver. And he can make people miss. He's, he's Bryant Westbrook to Andy Reid. Like, that's, that's what he's going to be in that offense. And um, when Patrick Mahomes – can't just throw the dagger right into your carotid artery at 50 yards down the field to somebody. He'll just check it down, let, uh, let this, you know, back. I, I wasn't surprised that he was their choice. I, I thought they would take a running back, and what they did was they took what they think is the best receiving running back. Not a knock on Dobbins or anybody else, but they felt like he's the best receiving running back in this draft. Yeah, and I think they're probably right. A perfect fit there in uh, Kansas City. Uh, Bali, I don't want to keep you too long, but listen, you're, you're one of, uh, when it comes to lifestyle and, and just living the right way and traveling the globe and doing fun shit, like I look up to Brian Balding. <laughs> how, is, how is the travel dog operating and not able to, to travel in, in, in full bore off-season mode? Well, you know, I have a house on the beach in Fort Lauderdale, Dan, so I mean, I got a, I got a film room down there. So I've been down there, and, uh, you know, I, I'm on the beach. I mean, I kind of got my friends here. Goose has got a boat down there. You know, I mean, I, 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 I found ways to get into the water. I mean, I just, I, I, you know, I, I abide by the restrictions that 
um, you know, that, that they have put in Broward County has on the beaches and all that, but I'm right on a beach. I can throw a baseball from my balcony and hit the water, Dan. So uh, it, it's been good. You know, I mean, it's, it's a $48 round trip ticket, Dan, from Philadelphia to Fort Lauderdale. I have no fear about flying. Um, I, 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 I knock on wood, I've never been sick. So I just don't have any fear. And um, so I, I, I've lived through this last six weeks. Um, I know I'm supposed to be in lockdown, but I, you know, I, I, I practice self-isolation every day in the film room. So like I'm, I'm living the same life. I'm just having a little fun on the side. Nothing wrong with that. Oh, Baldy, before, before I let you go, we had a conversation many years ago about our favorite sporting event that we've ever attended. Yeah. And yours was fascinating. It was a, it was a car race. Yeah. You remember this? Oh, the Grand Prix, the Grand yes. Prix of Monaco, Formula One. Well, what, I mean, first what, of all, that there's like? no other place. You, you, can't, you can't imitate Monaco. There's only one Monaco. And then when you're in Monaco in May, and the greatest car race in the world is in Monaco, the Grand Prix, and the trials and the testing. And then if you're a guest of the Ferrari racing team, um, and you're on a club med boat off the shore in Monaco <laughs> with helicopter service or boat service to the mainland. And then you see what is attracted by the Grand Prix of Monaco. Um, it makes I, I, everything I, I, that any man could possibly want or woman. Oh, wow. Single or married. I mean, there's just nothing, there's just nothing like it. Um, it, it attracts the best from around the globe to come to the <laughs> chance to enjoy it. And I, I'm going to get back there again. The be the best of everything. All right. So so the the Grand Prix of Monaco, what I need to put on my sporting yes. event bucket list. No doubt, no question. Whenever this opens up and we get back to you know real sporting events, don't miss it. Don't miss it. You you will not see anything quite like it. Grand Prix of Monaco. The sound the sound of the sound of those cars racing through the streets of Monaco, you, you'll never hear that sound again anywhere else. No, nothing imitates like that. Almost yeah. as sweet as the voice of Brian Baldinger breaking down the NFL draft here on the Heli Pod. Yeah. Dude, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate the time. Uh, yeah. Stay safe, time, but I know man. you will. You're, you're, like, uh, you're like the kryptonite to every sickness, man. Like you, Nobody can mess with Baldy. Well, listen, I, 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 I just, I'm just not going to let anything land on me. But uh, look, Dan, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're teammates for life, man. Once, once we start sharing those NFL network, you know, hallways there, we're teammates for life. So whatever I can do to help you out, including getting you uh, on the Ferrari boat in Monaco, let me know. I'll do what I can. <laughs> but you're the man. All Stay right. well, my friend. Okay. My pleasure, Danny. You got it. See you, buddy. Uh -huh.